Bad luck isn't brought by broken mirrors, but by broken minds. Welcome to the Horrible Film School, a safe place to watch scary movies. Professor Chris here with my fellow Horribles. Time for the roll call. Professor Hootie. What's going on, fellas? Excited to be here today in a whole new year. So many resolutions, so little time. We're time travelers, brother. And Professor Joseph. What up? Happy New Year's to everybody. Um... Are we sure that the title of this week's film isn't The Color Red, the movie? I mean, uh, I felt like I was staring at Jessica Rabbit's bush for an hour and a half. Not that I would complain, but, you know. What a place to be. Today's assignment, 1977's Suspiria. The lesson. Always have a backup school, just in case your first choice is hiding a damned dirty secret. It's like a darkness in the light, Suspiria. All right, get all this Rihanna shit out of your system now. <laughs> what is, hold on, what is this Rihanna song? There's a Rihanna song called Suspiria? Disturbia, man. Pretty much this week we're going to uh, change up the formula a little bit, give Hootie a break. He's uh, come down with like a uh, strep throat type situation. Um, so uh, I'm going to step into his shoes and... Throat's destroyed, I mean... Destroyed. And with that, I'd like to start off by talking about the director, Dario Argento. Um, never heard of the guy, uh, Mr. Argento, but before watching this movie, um, doing a little research, he is uh, popular for what they call the giallo subgenre of uh, horror slash thrillers. I'm going to go over that in a moment, but apparently uh, Mr. Argento is known as the Italian Hitchcock. So what exactly is meant by giallo? I've never heard of the term before. I'm sure you guys haven't either. Um, And the exact definition differs from one cinephile to the next. Uh, To my understanding, and apologies if I'm just flat out wrong with this simplification, but giallo is an Italian subgenre describing stylized mystery fiction and thrillers with a violent crime element, as well as gore, menacing visuals, and similarities to what we would consider slasher horror. Before we go any further, we need to talk about Goblin, the band who worked with Argento to create the score for the film. Uh, Apparently, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg would listen to Suspiria's soundtrack on repeat while writing Shaun of the Dead. Uh, One of my favorite films, not just horror films uh, of all time. Definitely one of the more divisive aspects of the film from what I've read. Uh, it's like nothing I've ever heard before in a movie. Even if you don't like it, you have to admit it's unique. What's the divisive part of it? Like, it's just so like, it's not good? and just feels like, yeah, a lot, there's a lot of people that say it doesn't feel like it should be in the movie. It's just so abrasive and just, you know, out there. One of the most unique scores, like you said, I've heard in any movie ever, and it's creepy unto itself no fellas i'm gonna make uh be honest here i i watched this movie in three settings because the first setting i fell asleep second setting i got bored and i finished it the third setting so well, I can't this wait is gonna to be great you. can't wait to hear you don't remember the music one. for real the music was okay it was oh, it was shit. just i'm surprised I was just eating my oatmeal i'm surprised you were able to sleep through through the fucking music <laughs> i when that should have woke you up Thump. nope Nope, right, definitely right. did not. Something you just said, I don't think this movie is for people who actually eat oatmeal. So, uh, <laughs> there's that. <laughs> All you oatmeal-loving fuckers. Time to skip well, an episode. Maybe because I was eating oatmeal while watching the movie. That's why I fell asleep. Yeah, that, that Quaker oats, some bitch. <laughs> a couple of, uh, couple of interesting facts about the film. Initially, the screenplay called for the female students populating the school to be aged between 8 and 12. This was obviously very controversial and didn't sit well with the producers, since a movie involving the brutal murders of little girls would more than likely never see the light of day in public theaters. Um, However, casting 20-somethings in the roles instead didn't lead to changes with the script. In fact, the script was was left intact 
and that's why we get so much like juvenile dialogue between the dancers. Uh, the set even reflected it at moments with Argento's uh, Argento's placement of the uh, knobs throughout the doorknobs. That is, if you pay close attention, you'll notice that in several scenes, uh, Susie, whenever she would reach for a doorknob, it'd be at eye level as opposed to waist. Damn, I did not pick up on that. Wow. Yeah, I did notice it, especially in one of the last scenes where she's opening a door and the knob is like, she's like reaching up to grab it. I'm like, that's really fucking weird. Yeah. But uh, yeah. to the point you were saying about it being essentially designed to be from the perspective of a bunch of 12-year-old girls, that makes sense. Make them feel yeah, small, uh, even if they're adult he, actresses. He was going for like a fairy tale esque uh, type feeling with the movie. And I think he really captured it. Also, unfortunately, this was one of Joan Bennett's final roles, uh, and it was her final role in a feature film before she passed in December of 1990. And in my opinion, it was a hell of a way to wrap up a career. Yeah, and the cult classic status and renown that Suspiria has garnered over the years helped to spawn a reimagining in 2018 with a film by the same name. Described as more of an homage than an outright remake by director Luca Guadagnino. 2018 Suspiria stars Dakota Johnson, Tilda Swinton, Chloe Grace Moretz, as well as Jessica Harper, who plays Susie in this film. Um, Critically, the responses the movie ever received uh, can be best described as polarizing. Maybe the good old random will will allow us to discuss it for ourselves someday. For a guy who loves Bride of the Reanimator and Phantasm Two, an Italian movie about a a, a covenant in Germany of ballerina dancers is my fucking nightmare. Well, in his defense, even it is an Italian movie, it's definitely made for an American audience. This yes. wasn't a foreign film like we kind of all I think assumed it was going to be. No, that's true. That's true. Uh, yeah, definitely I'm, shot like a foreign film though. I'm very very happy it wasn't subtitled and all the. It's funny because all the the audio was done in post, like all the actual speaking parts, because a lot of the actors and actresses didn't speak the same language, so they would do you know say their lines and act together, but they wouldn't understand what the other one's saying. Yeah, I remember reading something about that where she's talking to the uh, psychi- psychologist guy, and she said he did, she didn't know what he was saying. So when it was her turn to speak, his foot was off camera. He would just tap her on the leg to let her know he was done speaking. Damn, that's a wild way to act. So she's just waiting for her turn to speak hey. and trying to understand what this German guy is saying. Hey, Chris, it's it's your turn. Your turn, buddy. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. But yeah, I think the fact that I think it's like one of his um, one of the trademarks of Mr. Argento was the post production audio, um, the dubbing as they call it, where you essentially you don't record any of the audio on set. Interesting. Definitely, definitely interesting. Um, anything else you guys want to add before we jump in? I have a couple of notes. So, at one point in this movie, there is a 90-year-old woman that you are going to see. And this lady was a prostitute that the director found on the streets of Rome, Italy. A 90-year-old prostitute. Was she still working? By the research I did, she was out there humping and bumping, baby. That is fucking awesome. You just increased my appreciation of this that much more. Good God. I the think, fact that this guy's out there getting gilfs to be yeah. in his movies. And watching the movie, I think you can also tell that he probably didn't use any makeup on her old crusty ass being 90 years old, bro. <laughs> That's a little think, fucked up. I That's a little ageist there. They threw some fucking paint on her and said, let's go. Well, I guess the question is, if she's a 90-year-old prostitute, if she quit when she was 60, she's still a prostitute for the rest of her life? Or like when you retire, you're like no longer a football true. player. But you always thought of as a, as a football player. Exactly. Interesting. Double Interesting. fucking standards. Old grandma, you know, used to used to suck him back in the day. Ah, she, still, she could have been retired. Suck him back true. in the day. She's still sucking him, dog. That's why she's still alive. <laughs> the fountain I appreciate of any woman who's going to support the herself. The fountain of youth is found in a man's nutsack, bro. Hey, we're all four sex workers. That's her right. They need rights. And the last thing I have. Is the director was so low after completing the film that he actively contemplated suicide. Jesus. I'm going to take a deep breath because there's going to be a lot of talking here. Uh, let's take a dive into Dario Argento's Suspiria. 
some jarring music and fairy tale like exposition by director Argento himself we're introduced to Susie Banyan an American ballet student played by Jessica Harper Susie has decided to perfect her ballet studies at the prestigious Tanz Dance Academy in Freiburg Germany it is here that Susie arrives in a torrential downpour and our story begins hold on before we begin the story I got a real issue with this place. I have flown in the past couple of months. Quite a bit. She lands in Germany in the middle of a fucking hurricane. There's lightning. There's hurricane rain. There's no way that plane landed. It's the 70s, man. They was fucking, Wild West back in the day, man. They were smoking cigarettes and shit on the fucking planes back then, man. They were just smoking cigs, flying through tornadoes. Like, fuck it. After a fair bit of trouble hailing a cab at the German airport... Susie makes her way to the dance school in the back of a taxi. Upon arriving, Susie witnesses a young girl standing in the doorway of the academy, talking to herself or someone, but the claps of thunder make it difficult to make out what she's saying. The girl slams the door and bolts past Susie, who was denied entry by someone on the other end of the call box. So what did you guys think about the exterior of this dance academy? I thought it looked very foreign. It looked like some shit from The Shining. That's some good-looking shit, man. It was yeah, so it fucking was fantastic. red. Yeah. It's all red all the time. Oh, this is what you're going to call out for being red, Chris. It's the fucking outside of the building. It's my favorite color, so definitely had my little heart heart pumping for the first five minutes there. My fa- I like green. Who do you, what's your favorite color? Uh, green as well, Joy. Well, man, what's up? Look at us green bros. Damn, green, green boys. Alfred Hitchcock's favorite color was green. Shit. Oh, I like that. So we're, we're a couple of cock bros. Red, baby. Give me red all day. Susie leaves the academy to find accommodations for the night and spies the young girl from before sprinting, stumbling through the woods as pursued by some invisible force. The girl makes her way to her friend's apartment, where she means to stay the night and leave first thing in the morning, afraid and visibly shaken. Played by actress Eva Axon, she refuses to tell her friend what has her so upset and instead resigns herself to paranoia, staring out of a dark and ominous window. A pair of yellow eyes flash outside, and a giant, hairy arm breaks through the adjacent glass, pressing the girl's face against the window until it breaks through. That was a hairy-ass fucking arm, man. That fucking arm was so hairy. It didn't even look human. I mean, it had, like, of course, human features to it, but I was like, Jesus, man. That's that European Harry. So are we supposed to believe that that is a killer standing outside of a window? I think it's more of like a terrace or like a balcony. Okay. Okay. I did not see the balcony. I don't, I don't think we're supposed to believe that person's like floating in the air or anything. That's the thing. You didn't. You don't see a lot in this movie. It's, it's left up to the viewer. I don't believe it's uh, necessarily supposed to be a human being. Having heard the commotion, the dancing student's friend pounds on the door, screaming the girl's name, which we find out is Pat. However, in typical horror movie fashion, the bedroom door is almost supernaturally locked. As the friend screams for help, Pat is drugged into another room and stabbed seven times, the final time in her exposed, still-beating heart. The killer ties a long cable around Pat's body, and her head breaks through a piece of colored glass that we discover is the same stained glass we saw in the lobby. That cool. That, that shot was cool. Yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah, that shot was so cool. Just the geometry, the symmetry, it's just, it's like a cinematographer's wet dream, man. Everything was just lined up. It's considered one of the, like, uh, uh, when you think about the movie, when you discuss the movie, this scene is, like, the one, like, a lot of people really, uh, really dug, really enjoyed. Yeah, it really grabs you, grabs you by the nuts in the first five minutes, so. I was super anxious, the whole, the chase, the stabbing was fucking brutal. And then, like you said, going through the stained glass, I was like, fuck, dude. At that point, I was invested. I don't see how anyone could have lost interest after that. Well, I can take a somebody who did, buddy. <laughs> I went straight to Dreamland. <laughs> but you, you, you'll, you'll admit that was pretty, pretty fucking awesome kill. 
Yeah, that was a great scene. And then it gets, yeah, slow again. Sleepy time. Pat's body falls through the glass as her friend looks up in horror, with the cord breaking her fall by catching around her neck, a noose fashioned by our mystery slasher. Tragically, the falling glass and metal frame embed themselves into Pat's friend, killing her in almost as brutal of a fashion. The glass through the head was awesome. Fucking sliced her head in half. That shit was wild. You're standing in the wrong fucking spot. Pretty much. The next morning, unaware of what befell the distraught young woman, Susie makes her way to the bustling Tans Dance Academy. She meets one of her instructors, Miss Tanner, played by Alita Vali, as well as the vice directress herself, Madame Blanc, played by Jean Bennett, who was being questioned by the local police in relation to the murder of Pat. Madame Blanc, who is currently leading the school while the directress herself is traveling abroad, informs Susie her room isn't quite ready yet, so she will have to stay in town with one of her classmates for the time being. As they arrive in the locker room, Miss Tanner introduces Susie to her fellow dancers, and we meet Susie's roommate, Olga, played by the sultry Barbara Bagnolfi, who in 2015 played in a movie titled Violent Shit the Movie, as well as Stefania Cassini's Sarah. Violent Shit the Movie. I think Hootie's been in a short film called movie. Violent Shit. I don't even, I'm mm. looking at it, I don't think it's like a parody or anything. I think it's actually like a serious movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's fucking weird. So are there any theories as to why her room was not ready? Was she getting the girl's room from the night before? I think it was Pat's room. Yeah, but Pat, they didn't know Pat was going to be... Yeah, maybe I'm getting ahead of the... I think later in the movie, it kind of alludes to someone... Yeah, they expected her to be gone. I gotcha. Yeah. So later, in Olga's flat, a student slash lackey of the school named Mark bring Susie her belongings before rushing off. Speaking with Olga, Susie learns more about Pat and her reputation in school as a difficult God. student as, as a busybody. Olga is so fucking hot. Ha, ha, hot. <laughs> My sultry. God. I use the word okay. sultry to describe her. Sultry. sultry. Succulent. Succulent. Jesus <laughs> Christ, what's she a fucking What did you guys bitch? think about Sarah, man? Sarah was like basic. I like Olga. Sarah. Olga brought the heat, though. Sarah looked like she worked at a fucking bank. She had the hair, dog. The hair of what? Yeah. Olga had bright, the Princess Leia hair. Bright red, man. What's that one? What's that one like hair gel that makes women orgasm? Herbal, herbal essences, essence. right? Oh shit, dude! Yeah, Damn she needs right. to get that herbal. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's where they're like coming mm. in the shower and then rubbing that in their <laughs> hair. Then I, I'll have what she's having. <laughs> so we already met the uh, butler guy at this point, right? On the way to her room. Pablo? Yeah, creepy dude. Yeah, I didn't really bring up Pablo just because he's not a ama- Yeah, he does make an appearance in several scenes, but oh, he doesn't does have he? any dialogue. Yeah, I guess, but my point was, he's. I was like, so the fugly guy is supposed to be our red herring, obviously. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know he's got some hairy ass arms. So just because he's special, Chris, makes him the killer. That's fucked up. I said red herring. I didn't say killer. I just said, mm. I think it was presented to mislead you. It doesn't help that he's surrounded by a lot of really attractive women. Thinking back to last night, Susie is able to recall a couple of words she heard Pat shouting over the storm. Secret. Iris. Iris. Neither she nor Olga can make sense of it. Back at the academy the following day, Madame Blanc happily informs Susie that her room is ready. But to her surprise, Susie instead decides to continue rooming with Olga. From there, she makes her way to her dancing lesson and comes across the cook, cleaning silverware, as well as Albert, Madame Blanc's nephew. As the cook shrewdly stares at Susie, she reflects a beam of light with a shining piece of flatware into Susie's eyes, leaving her shaken and suspiciously drained of energy. This weakness persists and continues to the point that Susie cannot stand and she collapses right in the middle of her dance routine, bleeding from the nose and mouth. She's rushed away to a room, presumably the one Madame Blanc talked about earlier. Yeah, so the whole reflecting light sequence was kind of weird. Oh, that's when I the really music kicked in, bitch. Yeah, I like that. The music, of course, is fucking incredible. But 
I just like I didn't understand what the fuck happened in that moment. And in retrospect, I still don't. Yeah, it looked like a crystal she was like reflecting at her, but looking at it, it was like like a Crash Bandicoot crystal, to be specific. <laughs> and that like little little boy, little creepy bull cutted boy who did nothing Super in the film, creepy. but look. Be fucking, fucking creepy. creepy. He looks yeah. like he stepped straight out of like uh, Children of the Corn with that fucking bowl cut and that yellow ass hair. Yeah, I feel like he was another one of those red herring setups. Like they gave us like five different possible antagonists who could have been doing this in different ways. Like, is he the possessed kid? Is this crazy butler, special ed guy, like Kaiser Saze? Or fuck, they were just giving you different types of villains for you to kind of come up with something in your head. That dude had a mouth like Simple Jack. Susie, now conscious, lies in bed at the school as Miss Tanner tries to force feed her, force her to drink water straight from a pitcher. And we can almost be mistaken for waterboarding. Yeah, they're trying to water her like a fucking plant, man. Dude, the fucking glass clinking on her teeth had me fucked up. Like, I can't stand that shit. I can't stand for any, like, shit to touch my teeth. Scariest part of the whole movie. Yeah, I did not. We like know it. not to touch George teeth now. Well, don't don't put glass on it. I'm like smack glass against my face. Like I couldn't suck a dildo like the uh, like a glass dildo. Wait like, a second. Wait a second. Rubber dildo. Right. Like, what about what about a rubber one? Uh, hey, rubber. I wouldn't <laughs> use my teeth. I would. I would have. I'd pro, pro level. Stick them gums straight back through. Okay. okay. Um, All right. But yeah, like glass and like even like silverware. I can't stand to, like touch my teeth. It's weird. Professor Vertigast, the local physician attributes the sudden fatigue and bleeding to Susie being out of practice and trying to do too much too soon. He prescribes her a glass of red wine nightly and recommends she get plenty of rest, meaning she'll be rooming at the school for the foreseeable future. Later that evening, after discovering she and Sarah are next-door neighbors, Susie is feeling well, almost as if she had never passed out in the first place. As she combs her hair in the mirror, she feels something is off. There's something in her hair. She pulls the small, wriggling larva from her scalp and finds more in her brush. Several more land on her dresser, as if falling from above. Looking up, she finds the ceiling swarmed, festering with life. That's right, boys. It's raining maggots. Oh, Ew, yeah. Worm hair. It's raining maggots. You know something had to fall in somebody's mouth somewhere. Did you guys see how many fucking maggots they had for this scene? There was a lot of maggots. Yeah, there was a lot of a lot of maggots were killed in the making of this movie. An insane amount of maggots. Insane amount. They were literally crunching under shoes. And I'm telling you, I, th- I think this is the first fucking uh, ASMR thing. Is them stepping on the maggots. And like the mic being right down there on it. You can hear the crunch. <laughs> the squish. It's up there with Friday the 13th and them openly just killing a fucking snake, yes. So we're supposed to believe that all these maggots that is raining in every girl's room on this one level of this academy is coming from one box of food. Yes, from as, as we'll see in my next series of notes, where it is one crate of spoiled foods. And they're falling down simultaneously across the entirety, the entirety of the, of the dance uh, Second floor, third floor, whatever it is. The school is in an uproar. As the attic is infested with maggots and raining from above into every room just below. Upstairs, the staff find a crate filled with spoiled foodstuffs and countless maggots spewing forth. Seeing as how the girls' living quarters were the only ones affected, the practice hall has turned into a makeshift dormitory until the fumigators can take care of the problem in the morning. During the night, Sarah is awakened by the ragged and labored breathing of someone on the other side of the makeshift sheet wall. She wakes Susie and tells her that Madame Blanc lied to them, and that the snoring belongs to the directress herself. She has heard that strange snore before, and it can only belong to the directress, as she wants room next to her. Yeah, I liked when they went with like lights out, but everything still had this red underglow. All I could think of was, it's sex time, man. There's going to be oh, some girl-on-girl action here. That dude, I think it was Mark, man, was peeking over the sheet. And damn, giving her like a... I think he did the two in the pink, one in the stink finger motion to her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you look down, he had a little like, boner poking through the sheets, She was fucking giggling too. and shit. And he was just fucking doing like a bunch of crazy sex shit with his hand. Hey, girl. He started like sucking his thumb in a real fast motion. He started sticking <laughs> up his butt. It got really weird real oh. fast. 
I think that boy likes you. I think you caught <laughs> one. Like you. I think you caught one. He's literally sucking a dude's dick on the other side of the sheet. You can see the silhouette. <laughs> yeah, I think you yeah, caught Yeah, I thought they would, do, uh, they would do some kind of more creepiness, I guess, with the silhouettes. But what they ended up doing is still I think the subtleness of that scene really is what made it that much more. Yeah, like it's really creepy. tense. I was I expected something bad to happen. Yep. And nothing really happened. There was just more of a information swap. And I also think they uh, the way it was shot too um with the red backdrop being against the sheet and all the uh, girls like in white and all the beds with the white sheets was like symbolized, you know, this is this is evil, this is good. As the fumigators arrive the following day to take care of the bug situation, the school's blind pianist, Daniel, arrives and leaves his dog tethered outside. Oh my god, this dog. This dog was gorgeous. Strimmer yeah. Shepherd was. Dude, you have such a hard on Beautiful. Sarah questions Miss Tanner about the sudden appearance of the directress, but she denies that the head of the school is even there, saying she is at least two weeks away from returning. The cook and Albert approach the school. Their gaze is fixed on the service German Shepherd, almost in the same way that they were looking at Susie earlier. We hear a growl and a boy's shriek of pain and fear. Miss Tanner storms into the ballet room, berating Daniel as he plays about his dog, which we learned has attacked and bitten Albert. After a heated altercation, Miss Tanner abruptly fires Daniel, who almost seems glad to be rid of his position at the academy. So what the fuck did this kid do to that dog? That's what I want to know. That dog would never have bitten him. Yeah. I mean, he was, they were familiar with each other because he'd been the pianist for a while, right? Yeah. So what did this little fucker try to do to that dog? He probably walked up with that probably fucking tried to cake, touch him. That cake spatula and was trying to stab him or something. This, this kid looked dog fucked up. Dog should have finished his ass. Uh, yeah, Tanner throws his cane across the room and tells him to leave. How the fuck is he supposed to walk out of the damn building? Hey, he finds a way, man. He... That's the thing. He goes out there strutting. He doesn't fucking go out with his head down. He's talking shit the whole way out. Yeah, and she was like, she took joy in it. It wasn't like she was reacting angrily. She was just like, get out of here, you fucking cripple. It's hard to watch. She very much has like a a Miss Bowbreaker look from Porky's. She reminded me of the teacher from uh, Matilda. You know she'd snap snap a dick in half with that thing, bro. Y'all are bringing up such good children movies. (laughs) Right there, bro. (laughs) All inspired by this, obviously. Back in her room, Susie downs her daily red wine and falls asleep, only to find a whispering Sarah perched on her bed sometime later. Together, they listen to the footsteps of the teachers and staff, who leave the school at the same time every night to return to their homes. However, with a keen observation, Susie remarks that the exit door is located to the left, but the echoes of their footsteps insist that they are headed to the right somewhere deep inside the school. Sarah decides to count the steps she hears to try and determine where they're headed while Susie falls back asleep, presumably groggy and half drunk from the wine, or maybe something else. Yeah, did you notice, uh, I know we talked to like the camera work and the lighting and all that kind of good shit, filmmaking tactics, um, like the extreme close-ups that he's using too, um, to this point. There's one, like at the beginning, we see uh, Olga painting her nails, like the shot starts on a fingernail and it like pulls all the way out of the room and lasts for like 30 seconds. He does it a few times here, like in the sink and then through her wine glass. It's just purposeful filmmaking. And there's another shot later on that I'll go ahead and mention now that uh, it like starts in the room, it comes up and it shoots the room through a light bulb, which was fucking awesome. I think it's when Susie's asleep and then it comes back down from the light bulb. It's just fucking great, man. Just interesting places to put the camera. That's a very keen observation right there, if I do say so myself. But uh, I'm just here to talk about, like, dicks and farts and, and stuff <laughs> like that. So, Where's the blood and the tits? We're, all, we're, we're on the same page, Joey, because, uh, yeah. That's I didn't see any of that. You didn't fucking see that. Jesus. I mean, I saw it. I saw him pull out of the sink like he's a fucking hair in it and all Hitchcock, that stuff. Hitchcock, he's the fucking the, tor- the, the Italian Hitchcock. Light bulb pulling around and swinging around. That's fucking good stuff. It's not something you see in an average horror movie. That's all I'm saying. Italian Hitchcock. 
That very same night, we find Daniel at a local pub, presumably trying to blow off steam after a chaotic day. Why did the blind man go to a fest house like at Bush Gardens? For probably that's probably music, man. I mean, I think it was just like a, joke, I think it was just like a pub. Or, or what would is they that call like in every Germany? German pub? There's like men. The dancing. I don't know. If, I don't think it's called like a pub cool. in Germany. It's probably called some other shit. But like a bar, like a German bar. So in so in he's, America you get Kylie ugly to, and like strippers dancing. He's literally there. And in Germany you get men dancing. Big strong men wrestling with each other on the fucking bar. He was a music guy. He just went there for the music. Yeah, he was there. And, yeah, he did. Good point, Chris. Uh, you can't fucking keen, see the dancing. Very keen observation. He is blind. Very weird. <laughs> he didn't know where the fuck he was. I can just picture me going like the, the, the bar down the street and just a bunch of dudes on the on the table just dancing, you know? It's interesting. And the cowardly ugly shit, bro. They'd be up there dancing hard. Yeah, but just like hard. an ass with chaps. So upon leaving or being escorted out by some elderly lady, Daniel and his dog make their way through a beautifully architectured plaza, tranquil and empty with only the moon's glow to pierce the darkness. Suddenly, the shepherd begins to bark and lunge at something unseen. Daniel tries to calm the canine, but his barks persist as he grows more and more agitated. Daniel, visibly shaken and startled, begins to scream into the void, but doesn't receive a response. His hands grab tightly on the pup's reins, prepared for the worst, but the moment passes and the dog grows silent. Then it happens. The very thing Daniel depends on, his loyal and trusted companion breaks his grip and lunges, tearing at Daniel's throat. With the full weight of the beast on his body, Daniel falls to the ground as the animal gorges himself on his master's neck tissue and blood. Thrashing about as the blind man chokes and grabs at the dog's muzzle in vain, Two policemen notice the scene, but far too late, as Daniel succumbs to the attack, and the Alsatian escapes. My favorite scene in the fucking movie by far. Your favorite, Your favorite scene? scene? I fucking Involved loved this scene. The it was fucking so dog. great. Oh my god, it was fantastic. You don't. You would so? love that. You, you just love the hand puppet, huh? <laughs> yeah, it was the I mean, how do you, clearly how a hand puppet. Else, how else do we do we portray this scene without like? Like CG and shit, you know? If he was sensing something further away from him, right? Was there something I was supposed to see in the background that I didn't notice? I guess, no, I don't question? think there was anything there. Like like you discussed earlier, I think that was just a red herring. Which I guess kind of puts you in the mindset of a blind man in this big, wide-open space, fucking terrified with the only person or thing he trusts on his hip. Yeah, I think we've we've realized at this point there's some supernatural possibly even magical shit going on. There's magic afoot. After learning of Daniel's death, Susie meets with Vice Directress Blanc to discuss her concerns about the recent events at the school, describing to her the night she ran into Pat and her recollection of the word secret and Iris. Madame Blanc calls the police to inform them of this new information, but has no idea of the significance of the words herself. Afterwards, Susie and Sarah go for a swim at the school's pool, where Sarah admits that the person Pat was talking to when Susie saw her that night was, in fact, Sarah herself. Are they swimming in, like, t-shirts? Uh, like onesie. What would you call that? One piece? I don't know. They look like t-shirts. What's her name was swimming kinda... in? Uh, what's the, she was swimming in a damn night shirt and a pair of panties, because them fucking nips was yeah. hot. The fabric was obviously hard. was not made for uh, swimming, but I appreciated the effort there. I think you uh, could have the, the fucking there, lemon with them titties. And then just the geometry of the pool sequence, too, was cool from above. The, you the amount of times Chris has said geometry tonight, I'm getting goddamn tired of it. It's important, man. This it movie, comes this back movie in has a lot of geometrical and like... I mean, he shot it from above, from far away, <laughs> so you could see the shapes in the bottom of the pool. Oh, God. I do not want to be in your goddamn math class, Chris. He intentionally told the actresses not to move too much so you could see the bottom of the pool. She described some notes that Pat had been taking for months. Strange, incredible, absurd events. And before she left, Pat gave these notes to Sarah, the only person she trusted. Sarah promises to let Susie read the notes for herself later that evening. Back in Susie's room, Susie is fast asleep once again 
having drink her prescribed glass of red wine. Sarah bursts in, in a panicked state. She tries her best to shake Susie awake, all while telling her that Pat's notes are missing. Susie is blackout drunk. Dude, she is fucking gone. She low fucked up. <laughs> I wish I could just get that fucked up nowadays. Susie, unable to bestir herself, mumbles and groans as Sarah reminds her of the paper with the counted steps from the other night. Just before Susie passes out again, Sarah asks her if she knows anything about witches. Sarah hears footsteps approaching and kills the lights. Through a small window above their connecting door, she witnesses her own bedroom light come on as someone enters her vacant room. Frightened, she leaves a slip of paper on Susie's nightstand and creeps into the hallway. She makes her way through the silent corridors, stalked by a shadowy figure until she climbs a set of stairs into the academy's attic. She tries to gauge her surroundings and find a means of escape, but not before an arm reaches out from the darkness and slashes at her face. Sarah screams in horror and breaks through a couple panes of glass as she flees. She rolls through she rolls three through panes of glass. Two panes of glass. Let's give it this. This hold on now. Let's not make it that much okay. more dramatic. Okay. Right. She like sends her own body through panes of glass. Yeah. Yeah. She was obviously was just, directed to do that. You could tell. Yeah. It looked very strange. It was like very you gotta strange. hit both of these. All right. Well, you think about it this way. Think about it this way. What do they What do they teach you if you're on fire? The roll. Stop, stop no, drop, and no, roll. You stop, you drop, and you roll. Now okay. put yourself in Sarah's shoes. You're standing in the dark. She didn't drop. You're standing in the darkness. Back Somebody wall, just roll. cut your face with a goddamn knife. You can't okay. drop. You can't drop because they're just going to jump on you. What do you do? Okay. You gotcha. fucking roll I'm, away I'm as fast as you can against the wall. <laughs> now, I think I would now, run away. Now, oh, look, I was like, roll now, away. Now there may Get be a little dizzy while you're doing. Now there may be panes of stained glass along the way, but you know what? You're already cut in the face. You might as well take a few more cuts. Roll through them bitches and find you an escape. Escape. Why hatch. not? Okay. Find you an escape hatch. Yeah. But the, again, this is the second kill of its type that we've seen, and they both involve mirrors and glass, right? So this so is intentional. And geometry. Exactly. There's shapes. There's reflections. Symmetry, man. Sarah screams in horror and breaks through a couple panes of glass as she flees, eventually making her way into an adjacent room with a latch lock. She watches in terror as the unseen assailant slips a razor through the door jamb, trying to move the latch. This fucker took several shots at getting that thing open with that fucking Dude, razor. what the fuck was... That's the thing. I don't think... That was the craziest looking razor I've ever seen. That shit looked like a butter knife. She's only a better life. So why could he not go up? I don't know. Anybody who's doing that could probably feel the latch, but the way it was shot, Correct. it was like he was feeling for the latch, and he couldn't quite. You would yank it. up. Yeah. Sarah cowers in a corner. Any hope for survival growing smaller and smaller by the second. She spots a window above her and stacks several boxes to make her way through. She sees a door across the dark chasm of the floor below and takes a leap of faith to what she hopes is her salvation. Unfortunately for her, there is no salvation as she falls into a tangle of barbed wire. A fucking barbed wire room. She struggles against the wire for what feels like an eternity, digging into her flesh and sapping all of her strength. A gloved hand reaches through the door she was trying for, covering Sarah's mouth and pulls the razor across her throat. I did enjoy the uh, razor across the throat shot. Yeah, that was cool. that was a very good shot. What yeah. you think about the room, though? The barbed wire room. It's kind of random. Uh, I do. It was kind of random. I do question that she could not see that before she jumped. It wasn't that far of a jump. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, she didn't seem like the most athletic person in the world. She should have at least looked down for a second. Well, I think the way the the what kind of mindset the directors want to put you in is this: this attic's pitch black. There's no source of light whatsoever. I mean, it's just, it's lit for the audience to see, but from the actor's perspective, you're not you're you're not seeing anything. It, it, the story wise, it's it's pitch black. It's just hard, I guess, for the way we've been talking about the color and the lighting in this movie to put yourself in that perspective because there's so much light on that yeah. the characters oh, yeah. obviously cannot see. It's like every shade. Like like this, this scene is blue, like straight fucking like blue. Scene is blue. 
like when they're sleeping downstairs, it's dark to them, but we see this fucking red light on yeah. everything that obviously they would acknowledge if they could see. Yeah. It's kind of a, a trick of the light. But yeah, crazy enough, the actress actually, like, that was actual barbed wire, but it just had all oh, the shit. actual barbed pieces removed, and she was in that shit, like, for a while. Like, I think it said they filmed that scene for, like, five hours. Jesus. Fuck me. Yeah. Crazy shit. I read that she got uh, several, like, burns from rolling around in it. Oh, guaranteed. To... She probably got pinched out of hell. That was a straight-up yeah. metal. That was a big-ass slinky she was rolling around in. The next morning, Susie finds Sarah's room in shambles, all her belongings missing as if she made a hurried and impromptu exit in the dead of night. Miss Tanner confirms that Sarah abruptly left early that morning, a story corroborated by Mark, much to Susie's disbelief. Not knowing where else to turn, Susie decides to call Sarah's friend Frank and set up a rendezvous. Susie meets with Dr. Frank Mandel, who is the only other person to know of past notes. Dr. Mandel is played by the uber-talented Udo Kier, who you may know from Udo. Ace Ventura Protect Detective and Blade. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Blade shout-out. And you forgot something that connects to this movie, a little film called Barbed Wire. Nice. Pamela Anderson. I remember that. It all adds yeah. up, dude. It all adds up. Dr. Mandel, a psychiatrist who treated Sarah three years ago, hasn't heard from Sarah and can't get in touch with her father. However, he informs Susie about the supposed history of the Tans Dance Academy he learned from Pat's notes. It was founded by a Greek immigrant named Helena Marcos, and the local people of the time believed her to be a witch. She authored several books of the occult, and those familiar with her work knew her as the Black Queen. Having finally settled in Freeburg, Madame Marcos somehow gained immense wealth. And with that, the Tans Dance Academy was born. However, in 1905, the Black Queen died in a fire, and the school that once housed the study of both dance and the occult sciences alike was taken over by Marcos's favorite pupil and became the Dance Academy we know today. Unable to help any further with the subject of witches, Dr. Mandel introduces Susie to Professor Milius, who is considered an expert on the subject. He educates Susie on what drives witches, which is power and wealth above all else, and the evil links that they can go to attain them. The professor also describes how to destroy a coven of witches, which is the private of its leader. The Black Queen in 2021 is obviously Nicki Minaj, right? Yes, Queen! Coronavirus! The booty cheeks, buddy. What'd she say? I joined a dance academy for that. Said shit I was talking about. Park your, park your big Mack truck in this garage. So yeah, this was a hell of an exposition scene. Kind of like the information dump to all. It's the, very much gonna. It's helping you to understand what's about to happen here in the next exactly 15, twenty minutes. So we've had all this cool like dream sequence, camera work, crazy weirdness going on, and then it's just like, well, to get to this ending, we kind of need to tell you what the fuck is going on. So yeah, here you go. Uh, here's an old, here's an old white guy for you. Exactly. Let's mansplain this shit to you. Back at school, Susie finds the dormitory empty and is informed by a housekeeper that while she was away, her classmates retreated to a theater opening by Miss Tanner. Susie tries to call Frank and discuss the strange events at the school, but a sudden storm knocks out the phone line. Susie, suspicious of what may be in her food and wine, proceeds to dump her dinner down the toilet and sink, all while noticing a pair of blinking lights out of her bathroom window. Here's another uh, bit of uh, good filmmaking. Just her throwing all the shit in the toilet. Dude, that man. shit it made me cool. it made me feel so fucking queasy. Oh yeah, my it god, was it was gross. gross. It was oh, like splashing shit. out onto the toilet bowl and the lid. It went, I, was I like, think Ugh. she was eating fucking oatmeal. That damn oatmeal hitting the toilet <laughs> bowl, making that plop sound. Imagine who taking the shit after eating oatmeal. That's what it was. <laughs> and then it's she, so nutritious. It's good for the bowels, right? I guess it's good for. It's good for falling asleep, apparently. Shit. <laughs> eat, some, eat some oatmeal and drink some fucking Bud Light Lime. You fall right out. It looked like she'd been drinking fucking paint when she poured that wine out. Dude, that shit she was could not get that shit out the, sink. the bowl. You know, Pablo was going to beat that ass. So, 
I was under the impression that they were putting something in the wine to make her go to sleep so fucking hard. There's I, no way I that think, one glass of wine put I her think out. She eventually come to that realization as well. Um, it's just a reason. I think it was fucking blood. She was dude. dumping the shit out. You think it was blood? The way she couldn't get it out of the sink. Mm, maybe. You don't think you could taste the consistency of blood when you drink well, it? Hey, if, you know, want, man. if you want to say that, I think it was paint because that shit stained it like it was fucking paint. <laughs> she was an American girl, fish out of water, man. She don't know what German wine tastes like. That that was thick, Chris. I don't even like. Damn, this is thick. Bitch. This must be German wine. Germans do this shit different. Curious, she opens the window and sticks her head out, just as a giant bat flies in and proceeds to terrorize her. Ooh. Eventually, the bat falls to the floor, and Susie covers it with a towel. She bashes it repeatedly with a stool until all that remains is a lifeless, bloody carcass. This bat is like the size of a dog. Dude, this, this thing is huge. Yeah, they fuck took, that bat. He creeped me out. They took a ferret and just stuck wings on that motherfucker and was like just fucking fluffing it around. I don't like rats, and this bat was pretty close to a fucking rat. Hoping a cigarette will calm her nerves, she smokes and notices a scrap of paper on her nightstand. It's the note Sarah had written, counting the steps of the faculty as they supposedly left the building after dark. Almost as if on cue, Sarah hears the familiar steps of someone heading to the right. Susie counts the steps aloud and makes her way towards her destination. She finds herself in the office of Madame Blanc. She scans the room, looking for another door, but to no avail. It's in this moment that she notices the flowers on the mural behind the vice directress's desk, and something clicks in her head as Pat's once-muddled words are clear as day. The secret I saw behind the door, three irises, turned the blue one. Susie spins the blue iris, opening a secret door to the unknown. Behind a velvet blue curtain, Susie wanders down a winding corridor, the walls covered in a strange language and archaic symbols. At the end of the hall, she spots several figures, and moving closer, familiar voices. She takes refuge behind a sheer black sheet, and spots Madame Blanc, along with Miss Tanner, Albert, Pavlo the Handyman, and other faculty. Susie listens intently as Madame Blanc commands her subordinates to get rid of the young American, to make sure she disappears, to make sure that she dies. Madame Blanc drinks deep from a chalice and chants an incantation. Susie feels the effects immediately as she backpedals into the darkness. She catches herself by grabbing onto a wooden box and gasps in horror as she looks inside to find the lacerated body of Sarah, with pins in her eyes and her wrist nailed with large spikes. Pablo hears the shriek and searches for its source as Susie stumbles back and finds herself in a beautifully ornate room. She hears a familiar sound, the ragged, labored breathing from the practice hall dormitory. She spies the silhouette of a woman in the bed across the room and attempts to flee. However, Pablo has made his way towards the door, and Susie fearfully steps away from it knocking a statue to the floor that wakes the sleeping woman. Pablo is carrying a Zippo lighter with a clock on it. Yeah, what the hell was that about? They well, early, earlier in the movie. Early in, yeah, early in the movie, it's like, it was Pat, like Pat's, uh, what's that, what was that shit from fucking Harry Potter? Horcrux? It was Sarah's Horcrux. And Pablo, like, kept looking at it, and he would, like, pick it up and, and, and look at it. And I think it's just something he would he wanted like his simple mind, his simple mind was like, you know, hey, I like this. I want this. Shiny. She makes herself known to Susie as Helena Marcos, the black queen herself. Creepy fucking voice. It's a super creepy voice. Sucking dick for 90 years, I'll do that to you. It will. Susie approaches, picking up a piece of the statue she broke to use as a weapon. As she draws back the shade of the bed, she finds that silhouette was actually a trick of the eye as Elena is invisible to her. She goads Susie as the doorknob starts to turn and what she feared to be Pablo coming for her turns out to be the reanimated body of her friend Sarah. The corpse paces forward with a knife drawn overhead, laughing hysterically along with Helena. Desperate, Susie stabs towards the source of the formless voice and pierces the Black Queen's neck. Her body takes form, Got and what we ass. see is an old, decrepit woman, her skin withered and over-ripened by age. As the old hag breathes her last, 
Sarah's corpse disappears and the room itself begins to explode. Sarah makes her way through the strange corridor and witnesses the agonizing deaths of Madame Blanc, Miss Tanner, and Pablo, choking, their faces dripping with blood. Well, I was only certain people reacting to that. I was kind of confused by that. What do you mean? It wasn't like everybody just fell over and was like, Ugh. It was only like four or five people, right? Well, it was everybody that was there at the school. The, what about the little boy? Well, I think he... I all think the, it, all it the goes, cooks. It the goes maids. well. I, I don't think the cooks and maids were actually witches. I think they were literally just cooks. What about fucking Pavlov? Pavlo, well, basic ass cook. Pavlo apparently was fucking over there witching it up, dog. Yeah, I think the whole Albert death scene alludes back to like the producers being like, "We're not going to show, we're not going to have young girls being killed in the movie, so probably aren't going to have a young boy being killed either." Put him off camera. Let the German yeah, shepherd uh, get his ass. That's my that's my thinking of it. Justice. <laughs> Susie dashes down the dormitory hall as doors implode, windows shatter, and objects explode until she exits the school just how she arrived into a downpour. As the academy burns behind her, the irony and relief bring about a pained laugh as she brushes the water from her face and strolls away. So concludes 1977's Suspiria. Why did it look like she was laughing when she ran out of the building? She was definitely laughing. Yeah, I think I think it was like the irony of her like arriving in the rain and then leaving in the rain. It was the mirror image too of the first girl who ran out crying or ran out in the rain to get away. Right? She did the exact same thing in the end. I guess she was seeing it the same thing from a different perspective. Fucking ironic. Full circle, man. Another fucking shape Full in there. Circle. Oh uh, yeah, it's a circle. Life is like a circle. It comes back around. Colors and circles, baby. So, we've come to the end of the movie. Ooh, I think I woke back up again. All right, I'm back, fellas. Get a sense of what piece of memorabilia myself and my co-hosts would like to uh, take from this film. I own, well, have. I think own is the correct term. I have a German Shepherd, so I got to go with that German Shepherd hand puppet, man. I can play with my dog. I kind of like I'm biting her, and she's biting me. We're going to have a little tug of war. I hope that dog bites you in your fucking neck. It just starts eating, she would never. eating your fucking neck meat, dude. I will bring her to your house. Get me a pair of those lederhosen we see worn by the performers in the bar scene. Make it triple X, baby. I'm going to be styling on them at the next Oktoberfest. I think I might want to get Daniel's uh, sunglasses. They were pretty badass. You can wear them motherfuckers at night and nobody says a word. Georgia. So that brings us to the, uh, what I've dubbed, funny slash insightful fan reviews. Um, Both our reviews this week come by way of IMDb. Um, With much praise and admiration, Pete Wintos gives Suspiria a 10 out of 10 with their review titled Beautiful Giallo Film. He writes, or she writes, The atmosphere that Argento set in this film is just absolutely breathtaking. The brilliant use of striking primary colors, bathing the scenes, and the geometric patterns found all throughout the Tans Dance Academy paired with (laughs) Goblin's contribution to the haunting soundtrack Render it as one of the most beautifully orchestrated giallo films I've ever seen. And subsequently, one of my favorite horror films of all time. Me and Chris did not did not this fucking like, dude corroborate that review. Like his take and this guy's take are two totally separate uh I entities. haven't read anyone's opinion on this. So uh looks like Chris is right on the nose once oh again, idiot uh, uh thoughts? Uh, I think he's dead wrong. I don't. I don't want to go sit in the fucking middle of a math class and watch a horror movie. I want blood, guts, tits, and then credits. Okay, and this movie gave me none of that. Gave me a little bit of blood. All right, to Hootie's credit, some nipples. To Hootie's credit, in contrast, our one-star review for for Suspiria is titled "Garbage." My boy, titled "Garbage," and comes to us by way of B underscore IMDb dash forty-eight. Uh, just 40, by his username, I could tell this that he has a This is moron. Stephen fucking Davis right this here. Is Stephen, this is Stephen fucking Hawking with that fucking name. <laughs> 48 writes, This movie sucked ass. 
I expected a nice suspense like a lot of other 70s horror flicks I've seen, like The Exorcist or The Sentinel. The color in the movie was great, but I looked at the box, 98 minutes long. After about 75 minutes, I was bored to tears. Just a lot of chicks chit-chatting the entire movie about absolutely nothing. With maybe two scenes that were slightly entertaining, the dog and the chick stuck in the barbed wire. This movie was a huge disappointment. More proof that European filmmakers are a bunch of no-talent, pretentious hacks that think their movie is automatically art because they're from Italy or the UK or whatever. Fuck. That dude Or whatever. Him. That dude took a fucking chunk out of damn Argento's neck, bro. I'm not going to give my review as much misogyny, but uh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I was little, I'm in line uh, with him a little bit. I was a little xenophobic. Yeah, all these fucking chicks talking and talking about the old Chicks shit. and foreigners, man. If it was just a bunch of white dudes slapping dicks, was, it would have been better. My favorite part was, <laughs> this movie sucked ass. <sighs> all right, that wraps up what is our review portion of the film. And that finally brings us... To what really matters. To what really matters. The review of Ya Boys... So this is the kind of experience I signed up for when we started the podcast. I'm watching something for the first time and with a more studious eye. So I generally avoid calling movies films, but I'd be damned if this isn't a film. This isn't about moving pictures and capturing action to tell a story. The story meanders and does not really explain much. The logical progressions and motivations are not there. This isn't about story at all. This is about two things, images and sounds. And those two things working together to create tone. A point highlighted even further with the fact that audio wasn't even recorded on set for most of these scenes. I would offer this film up to anyone that questioned horror genre's ability to create art. It took genuine willpower for me not to watch the 2018 remake immediately after this ended. I give this an A. Let me enter my submission into the review here. I give this film a C. I think that's been pretty nice. I understand how this movie is regarded as a classic film, and we all have to watch the goddamn thing. The artistic visuals that the director creates are beautiful, but the pacing is all over the place, and the film is extremely slow in some parts, which led me to fall asleep quite literally. I watched this film in three different settings due to that issue. Watch this film, check it off your list, and move the fuck on. I can definitely see why people would dislike it, so no offense taken. I've heard a few podcasters and YouTube horror enthusiasts sing the praises of 1977 Suspiria. And upon my first viewing about a week ago, two weeks ago, I didn't really see what all the fuss was about, honestly. However, upon my second watch to write up my notes, something something seemed to click and man oh man, we have a banger on our hands. Possibly the most colorful horror movie, aside from maybe Midsommar, that I've ever seen. The intensity of the colors is absolutely gorgeous, and the way Dario Argento uses it in the death scenes, I'm both disturbed and in awe of just how beautiful it is. The score in the beginning of the film felt so strange and out of place, but by the end of the movie, I couldn't get enough. The tension it builds, all while filling the viewer with a constant sense of foreboding. I can only imagine the terror that filled the cinemas when this movie was first released. The cinematography is top-notch as well. If there's a weak point with the film, I'd say it's probably the story, as it isn't anything genre-defining, but it, it lends itself pretty well to the triumph that is the visuals and sound. Both visually and audibly stunning, Suspiria is without question an easy A. Forget about it! Two A's and a C! That puts right. it at like a... Yeah, it averages out to like a B plus. Like a B plus average? That's okay. It's disheartening. I should have went lower. Damn it. All right. I guess that uh, that puts our big fancy red bow on Suspiria for us. It's glad. over. I'm glad we did it. I'm glad we did it. I hope, so. we, I hope we get fucking 2018 Suspiria. So we are. <laughs> I'm leaving the show. I hope. We are jumping into 2022 here. So in the interest of two plus years of the pandemic i think we should be more lenient with ourselves this year so we're gonna bump our three-point cushion for our audience fan score guesses to a five-point cushion 
Ooh, thank God, man, because we've been sucking dick at this. Yeah, we've been uh, we're fucking terrible at the game we created, obviously. So we're gonna we're gonna be polite. We're gonna be kind to ourselves this year. That's our mission. So here's my gift to you. With that in mind, we are going to hop on Rotten Tomatoes and check the audience fan score for Suspiria. 1977. And before I reveal that, let me recap our guesses here. We'll start with the low man. Kind of ironic how this worked out here. Ryan Hootie himself felt this deserved a 67% from the audience. As it should. Joseph, a 75 was his guess. And myself, I did a 90. I feel like we're all just off. Actual score here is an 83% from the audience. <laughs> Right there in the fucking middle between me and Joy. So wow. Terrible. Should have been missed, lower. We missed again. We fucking suck at this. So, looks like we're going back to that random wheel again, boys. The wheel has been spun. And it is Annie Bell. Oh, yay. More conjuring shit. <laughs> Annabelle. I've never seen this one. More James like Wan being more killer yeah. fucking dolls. Being Joey. James innovative, good, man. so innovative. James Wan is guy. fucking great. The house is haunted. There's Such a fucking doll in there. Original ideas this man has. He's a good fucking director, man. I think he's just a creator, though. I don't think he yeah, actually did like anything on this or one. Some bullshit. He got the money. That's, I got no doubts got. in the man's skill. So it's definitely something I've avoided, probably intentionally. Because of the uh, generic idea. I went to a Comic Con and they had one of these dolls like behind glass and people were freaking out about it. So, <gasps> please give me the Annabelle, please. <laughs> it might be pretty good. I know it's four four ninety nine, but fuck, please. All right, so we're going on YouTube. Let's pull up the official trailer for Annabelle from twenty fourteen, I think. Let's hit play. John. Door. I heard a scream. Stay here. Go check it out. Poor John's gonna die. Is everything alright? Oh my god, they're covered in blood. Go back inside. It's not mine. It's not. Go back inside. Call an ambulance right now. Go! She looks super familiar. Oh my god, god, somebody has the doll. Whoa, that's creepy. Oh, the blood. Legend is born. You survived. I'm not the, the one who's so like far away. Fucking Godsmack music video starts playing. How did that get in there? I swear I threw it out. Things must have got mixed up. Is this the yeah, house that Freddy built? Right it must have got mixed up. I fucking hate all shit, man. You love this shit, Joey. Until it sleeps. I like this song. For the conjuring. Oh, there she is. A ghost but that's a grown lady, though. Uh, strange. She only has eyes for one, you know? What was this lady oh, in? Was she in 28 Days Later or something? I hate shit like that. Got a lie. Ooh. And goddamn, the popcorn fucking blew the kitchen. <laughs> oh shit! There are things happening that I, that I can't oh no, she was in Peaky Blinders. That's where I know her. Killian Murphy was in Twenty Eight Peaky days. Blinders. Look at that baby. Look at that doll. I got those falls down. Humans can attach themselves to objects. Oh shit! They do this sometimes. We gotta go to a Catholic church. You know, when shit goes sideways, gotta go to a Catholic church. It's all propaganda for the, uh, for mass. Who are you? I'm a oh, shit. That look pretty cool. <laughs> so it's a little girl, but a grown woman, but I a doll. A little tingle out of that. <laughs> All right, with the trailer and the books, you boys want to take a guess at the fan score for Annie Bell 2014. Remember, we got a five-point cushion now. So use that in your, whatever strategical way you determine. 40. 
40? 40. For a James Wan origin story. This movie looked awful. 40. That created a franchise. 4-0. This was literally like a a branch of the franchise. This isn't... I don't even think this is canon. I'm going 63. Yeah, I think 55. I mean, I think this got a direct sequel to itself. Annabelle Comes Home or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. And then there's also like uh, Origin of Annabelle or some shit. Oh, yeah, Annabelle Beginnings or some shit. There you go. The beginning. Alrighty, folks, thank you for listening. You can find us on damn near any podcast platform. Check out the socials on the website, horriblefilmschool.com. Subscribe and follow to spread that love. If you can, leave a review on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify. Apparently they just added this feature, so you can go forth, spread the good word, give us some Spotify reviews. I think if we get so many, then they actually start to publish it on the uh, on the podcast's homepage, so... So spam those five-star reviews if you Let's don't Let's get mind. them numbers up, up, up. I'm going to use my sign-off to offer my support to women lost in a foreign country with creepy butlers, aggressive bag boys, and power-hungry crones. Sometimes there's no place like home. And as always, if you listen to this show, tell at least one person you know and pump up those Spotify numbers, baby. Up, up, up. And we at the Horrible Film School hope that your New Year's is fantastic and all of your little wishes come true. And hopefully one of those wishes isn't to watch Suspiria this year. And with that, I'm out. Thanks for all the likes, follows, listens, shares. We appreciate your time and attention. Uh, Let's get 2022 started off right. We'll see you in the next one. Class dismissed. I used to pick out the dinosaur eggs and just eat all them and just throw the rest of that shit away. I like you eat all the sugar candy and throw that away.